This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here we are on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, One Bills Live is the show. And we all know that uh, one Steve Tasker is a foodie, much like I am. His wife's out of town. This guy is on a junk food binge. I ate total like garbage nobody's I mean, can possibly imagine. I ate trash for supper last night. But I did polish it off with a pint of ice cream. Which, well done. Which and was then the healthy- followed it up with lunch today with yeah. a hot dog. Yeah. Hot dog, fry, and the whole thing. I Man, oh, man. It, I, I almost ordered a milkshake for lunch today, and I instead went oh, healthy. well. So I got water. Way to be a modicum of got decorum. A bottle, I got a bottle of water, so I'm feeling pretty good about myself right yeah. now. That's like getting a triple cheeseburger with a diet I'm soda. I'm asking for chest pain. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I thought about it this morning when I got up and I was and I didn't you know I actually slept good last night and I, I thought you were probably like, in a food coma. I thought about it and I was like, oh my gosh, I ate garbage. Yeah, for so, just total. Ju- I'm even going to tell you what it was. I will not ever tell you what it was. Okay, it was garbage. Okay, and it was you know, but it's like like junk food supposed to be fried Take, cheese and nachos or it, I, it that would have been a step up, but. Wow. Yeah, it was mostly preservatives and, you know, all that stuff. Sure, so. everything that you had had MSG in it. Um, and, yeah, so anyway, I'm feeling pretty good today, actually, yeah. in spite of that, and I, I'm going to try and clean it up from now on. Okay, good for you. But the, I, I, I I'm still going to eat luck. ice cream, though. Well, I get it. Just everything, <laughs> everything in moderation, Steve. I was... Everything was, in moderation. Don't be a glutton. Stuff in your life, not all the time, but once in a while, they're like, man, I look in the mirror and you say, you just disgust me. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I was this morning. Okay. You disgust me. Okay. Fair so enough. there you go. Fair enough. All right. Try to get on the clean train here for a little while. <laughs> be good to your colon, okay? Yeah. Uh, we, we have uh, a bunch of stuff to get into today as uh, we are still sifting through the remnants of the 2022 season for the Bills, which, as we all know, ended in the AFC Divisional Playoff round with a loss to the Bengals, where the Bills just simply did not look like the team we had watched all season long. And the more you sift through the commentary from the players yesterday on locker cleanout day and maybe to a lesser extent from head coach Sean McDermott, who addressed the media late yesterday afternoon, and we'll have some of his more Notable comments for you here on the show shortly. It's hard not to come away with, and again, not using this as an excuse. I think it's just a fact. And Steve and I talked about this even before we came on the air today. If you look at the last three games, the two leading up to Cincinnati in particular, there were elements of Buffalo's game that were uncharacteristic. Um, and I don't want to call them chinks in the armor. I don't think that's a proper description. But maybe warning signs would be the right phrase to use. And what really made it hit home for me was when Tredavious White gave a post-game press conference interview in the post-game media room. And I think it was sitting alongside Dean Marlowe. And... And he basically characterized the week following the DeMar Hamlin cardiac event as an expletive show. Um, This 
operation, this daily operation here at One Bills Drive, is one that is revered around the league in terms of how things are run here in Orchard Park on a daily basis. You just heard Jamison Crowder say it yesterday in his locker clean-out interview. He basically said, I would like to be back. Somebody asked him why, and he said, because this is the best-run operation I've ever been around. Now, he did play his previous career in Washington and with the Jets, so I'm not going to throw stones, but they're probably in the lower third of the league in terms of how they run things with distractions and other problems, bigger media, whatever. But Jamison Crowder just reiterated what attracts people here is not only some of the premier talent on this roster, like a Josh Allen or a Von Miller, but the way in which business is conducted here every single day. It's a professional operation that expects people to act like professionals, take care of their business, love up on each other, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The point I'm trying to make is despite the strength and continuity of that daily operation, the DeMar Hamlin situation threw the whole thing for a loop. And the players did the best that they could to navigate their way through that emotionally while still trying to become emotionally invested enough to play and put their bodies on the line for a football game. And I think it became very hard for them to balance the two down the stretch here. They were able to beat the Patriots, as you pointed out yesterday, thanks in large part to two kick returns for touchdowns by Naheem Hines. And then – um, against well, other, than, other than those two returns, they got outscored 23-21. Again, yeah, against Patriots. Um, but yeah, and then the following week against Miami, they're Skyler in a dogfight with a third-string quarterback. Skylar Thompson. So th- those kind of gave me pause. Um, but I thought they'd be motivated for this Bengals game, and I just don't think – emotionally they just I'm not and again I'm not making excuses I'm just saying this is the way I read it watching the way that they played they just did not emotionally have anything left to give as a collective group because I'm telling you if you ask anybody that watched any other game that the Bills played this season in the regular season primarily you would say I don't even recognize this team playing the Bengals today I mean, it was yeah, it was different. It I, was different. We we've been talking about this a lot about you know trying to get our minds around you know the the performance they put together and and looking back over it and hearing what the the words that the guys said yesterday to the media. We didn't really we're not it's not our place to talk about this like during the season or even even now I'm I'm a little hesitant to to you know put our opinion on it because it is a little bit conjecture, but um, yeah I I and and plus I feel bad you know. Nobody wants to say, you know, it's DeMar's fault. Um, no, no. Because of, of what happened. Um, because there's a million things going on. But I, I know this. This was a different – this has been a different bill. Still is. Um, you look in the eyes of those guys that were on that field on that Monday night when De- DeMar went down. Um, I don't know that there's not a handful of guys on this roster that may never be the same because of it. May never get over it of what, no. they, what they witnessed. Um, and then certainly as a team – the entire roster was affected by the sight of their friend um, and and the urgency of what happened to him and how, how that all went down. Fighting they, for they his were, life. They were scarred. And I think 
I think even Bills fans were at this point. Remember on Monday night where you're thinking, hey, who cares? Just, just give them the loss. I don't care. Just I hope DeMar's all right. Yeah. And there was stuff like that going out even the, even the day after or the two days after before we started getting positive reports from Cincinnati that DeMar was, was doing better. Uh, it was a whole bit like I don't even care about football. Um, I just – it was awful to witness that. And nobody even really thought about the impl- implications or cared about what the league was going to do with the canceled game and how they were going to handle it. All of that was going on. And I think there was a po- point in the narrative just after that where Bill's players and coaches, where they realized, man, they don't care. Who, I don't care about the Cincinnati game. You know, I don't really care. How's DeMar doing? Yeah. And rightfully so. Absolute. The whole country was there. But then, you know, on that Wednesday when they were going to, like, they got another, the game's coming up on Sunday. They didn't even pra- They can't even practice. They walk through. And they're just not in a state to go out and play, like, even practice football. So they let that go. And then the, the reports start coming out and say, okay, we'll try and practice Thursday. They start that up. Things are a little bit better. And I guess, you know, to, to, to boil this all down in retrospect, and it's easy to do it from here, I don't know. I, I, think, I think they've still got work to do from that incident on Monday night that goes far beyond fixing the O-line, getting another number two wide receiver. Getting, I think they've got guys that are still really – There's really, emotional healing that has to yeah, happen is what you're saying. And I'll say this too. And I've, I've told you this a ton, Brian. We have these conversations all the time. Yeah. When you're going to play pro football, and, and any professional sport, but pro football in particular, you're going you're gonna to get into a physical confrontation. It's a Several fight. times over. 150 times during the game. You're yeah. going to be pushing somebody against their will, or you're going to get pushed against your will. Um, you're going to get slapped. You're going to have to slap somebody. You're going you're to smack, knock you're down. Knock their hands off. You're going to push them. You're going to – you're going to – your temper is going to raise. It, it, it is in, it, 100% inevitable. And to do a, be a part of that game, you have to prepare yourself to do it. You've all seen old films of these guys working themselves into a rage pregame. And all. There's a little bit of that all the time. Um, You've got to get yourself into a mental state to have a physical confrontation. And for a lot of these guys, I think over the last – since that Monday night, I think they've really struggled – to find the importance in a game that they saw was really unimportant in those moments after DeMar went down. They had a hard time getting it back. Some of them did. Some of them didn't. A lot of them did, maybe. But I know there's a handful of guys that are going to th- be thinking about this for the rest of their lives, and they may never be the same. And, and I don't, there's nothing wrong with it. It's the way life is. The things you experience affect you, and they should. That's how you learn. Uh, but I think it manifested itself in a variety of ways over the last three games of the season against the Patriots in week 18, in the, against the Dolphins in the wild card round, and certainly we saw more, a, a more, I think, a more telling characteristic of it against the Bengals. Yeah. They got against a good team after a, three weeks of just grinding, and it just they had nothing there there was no emotion there they yeah. were it looked to me like the entire team went through the motions certainly there was some nice stuff going on and you got you know you know guys running around and they were going through they were playing hard but man oh man that was 
it looked like a paint job to me. You uh, know what I mean? And, I mean, and, they were just trying to put on a good front. And you need to bring even more come the postseason, yeah. as, as you well know. And it's like, wow, say, it's like I, I've been laying yeah. it out there as best I can the last two weeks after this thing right. to try to win some football games. Now I got to – now I got to really put it out there. Now that I'm in a fourteen nothing hole, it's like oh, eesh. yeah. Because a couple of players referenced that too, yeah. the fact that they went down early, knowing now the mountain's even bigger to climb. I just think it was too much, and yeah. you know, people might turn, you know, dismiss that out of hand. It's like, come on, it's football. You got to play. You know what you signed up for. I think they all know what they signed up for, and you got model professionals in that locker room. But as Steve pointed out. Some of those guys are changed. I mean, I, I'm telling you, I remember in the 2007 season when Kevin Everett goes down in the season opener, that team wasn't right the rest of the year. And nobody on the roster would admit it until locker clean-out day, the end of the 2007 season. I'm sitting in there talking to people like Chris Kelsey and others, and they're telling me, yeah, that, that messed with our head for a while. And, and we didn't get our heads back on straight till the second half of the season. Yeah. So that's... That's seven games later right? when they're telling me they, they started feeling like they could just play football again because that, by that point, Kevin Everett, you know, thank God, was able to walk again, you know, had use of his extremities. I mean, they thought he was going to be a quadriplegic right. for about a month and, or and a few I, weeks. And for this season that we're talking about with the Bills this year, you know, Brownie and I aren't the final voices on this. We're just kind of going by what we've seen. It's just the way I see it. That's the way we, it looks like to us. And and we don't spend time in the locker room. We don't talk. We hear the stuff in the media. And I go from the experiences I had as a player uh, and talking to the guys that I played with and some of the guys now that play, and not just in this team either, uh, guys who have played in the league in, in years past. And so that's that's where I'm coming from. It, you know, you'll, you, you can't even – talk about it during the regular season because if word leaked out to people in the media and stuff it would start to become its own it would have a life of its own and then that's one more thing you'd have to deal with day after day after day it becomes exhausting and I think that's you talk about you know the overriding theme of what was wrong with those the bills in the Cincinnati game and even after you know after that first week was it was exhaustion there was just too much going on, yeah. and I think they had gotten to a point where it was so late in the season when it happened, and for all of us, didn't we all just kind of say, I'm done, I'm so done, I don't care about this game. Well, yeah, and right after it happened, certainly. Right, right in that night, that night, that evening, you just turn it off say, I really don't care, and I don't know how long, it, and, and everybody turned it back on a little bit when they could. Uh, maybe some of us, it was 10 minutes later, some of us maybe still haven't turned it on yet. Maybe they're, we're still scarred by it. The players are the same way. And the more players you have that are in different places than that, it manifests itself on the field in a team sport like football. Some of the guys are just not there mentally. Some of them are there physically. Some of them, some of them are back fine. They're ready to go. But when not everybody's ready to go, I think you have performances like you did those yeah. last three games. I, and, I, and So when, it, when I evaluate this season, I, I kind of made this decision. I was thinking about this. I think i got to throw those games out. All of it, the good and the bad, all of it. Um, just go back to pre, back to the Bears game and take the season as it was then, and build from that. Um, I know this last game, and Sean McDermott even said yesterday he's a big believer in you're the you are who you were in the last game you played. I don't know, maybe, maybe that's where they're at right now. 
But to evaluate where their roster is, I think you got to look back a few weeks before that and and go from there. Um, so I right. It's it was a tough and it's a very weird. Even even on social media, it's a very weird vibe to the end of the Bills season because of what they've been through this season. Yeah, everything. Bottom line, though, is now they can get away. Now that the season is over, maybe close the book on on the 2022 season, and the league marches forward. You know, nobody's waiting on the Bills. They got to work to keep up or to try to get ahead again. And those duties will fall primarily on GM Brandon Bean and his personnel department. And that's why today uh, on our Twitter poll, we are asking you to be the GM of the Buffalo Bills. What do you say at the press conference today? GM Brandon Bean scheduled to address the media right after we're off the air at 3 p.m. We want to know if you are the GM of the Bills, what are you saying at your press conference today? 803-0550-188-550-2550, number to get on board. And we will go to the phones now. And leading us off today is Blaine in Williamsville. What do you got for us, Blaine? You're on One Bills Live. Okay, thanks, guys. Bear with me. I got two points to make. They interconnect with each other and also connect with the point you guys were making. With the Hamlet incident, what we had, I think, is a team that was, at from that point forward, had one arm tied behind their back, okay? From the emotional drain that it caused and everything else that went with it. Now, we beat Miami and we beat New England because, let's face it, our rosters were better, and we I don't want to say we cruised through it, but it was much easier to beat those teams. Now you come up to Cincinnati, whose roster, in my opinion, offensively, is better than ours overall. And now you've got two things tied behind your back, and you just we just didn't have it to beat them. The point, the second point I wanted to make is, how did our roster get to the point where we were so far behind Cincinnati? And that, I think, was right or wrong. I think they allowed the roster on the offensive side of the ball to wither on the vine. Go back and look at our draft over the past three years. What was it? Uh, corner, third-round linebacker who never played that I saw. Another corner, you know, beyond that, I don't remember. The year before that, you know, it was just defense, defense, defense. Nothing on – not even a bone thrown to the offense until last year with Cook. That's how, in my opinion, we got here as far as what we have to do now. I, I think all offense this coming draft – all offense. I don't even want to see a defensive player, maybe a linebacker if we can't sign Edmonds. But basically it has to be all offense. And I know they can do it. They know these, who these guys are out there that are good on college campuses. But that's what it's got to be. Make sense? Yeah. yeah no, I'll, I... tell you, I'll say this, though, Blaine. Uh, yes, Cincinnati's got a nice offensive roster, but their total roster, the Bills are, have every reason to think they can hang with those guys, particularly uh, defensively. Uh, you can say what you want about injuries. Uh, but they could say that as well. Their offensive line was decimated. Our defensive line lost Von Miller, and we lost our starting safety right, you know, right down the uh, right down the middle of the defense with um, with Micah Hyde being out. I think the Bills' roster was better than fine in stacking up against Cincinnati. Certainly, you can make a case for the wide receiver group at uh, for Cincinnati. It's better in Cincinnati. They have a better but, back. But I'll better this, number one back than Cincinnati. But too. I'll say this: uh, the Bills' roster is. 
perfectly with our quarterback, we're perfectly capable of scoring 30 points on those guys or more. We, yeah. I, we, we can keep up with them, I think, because Cincinnati, while their offense is good, their defense can't hang with our offense. I think their defense, our offensive roster is better than their defensive roster. We would have been able to hang in there with Cincinnati if you put their offensive roster that far ahead of our defensive roster, that kind of thing. So I'm not willing to go there. But because of the injuries, yeah, sure, uh, you've got a point. And, and I, yes, you're right. The team wasn't the same after the DeMar Hamlin, as we've been talking about. Um, and I, but I would say this, there's no reason to think that the Bills need to do anything different than the way they've been doing it. Certainly, they need to pick really good people in the draft. You never want to miss on those. But you're missing, you know, when you're saying the defense didn't get any draft picks, so they got James Cook, Khalil Shakir, they got Zach Moss uh, as, a, as a running back. Now, you can say these guys didn't pan out or will pan out or whatever, but they're, they got offensive linemen in uh, Spencer Brown. Uh, they've got uh, Tommy Doyle in the draft. They got, you know, they got some guys. Uh, they have not completely forgotten about the offensive side of the ball. Now you can dr- complain they didn't get the right guys or those guys aren't good enough. Okay. I think that's – But that's what you're talking about. That's where the problem lies. That, because go, think about it, Steve. Coming out of last year, Cole Beasley was released from the roster and Gabe Davis finished the playoffs on a tear. And I think they and, – and Emmanuel Sanders retired. And so I think they genuinely believed – that Gabe Davis in his third season was ready to make a step up to the number two receiver position after a four-touchdown performance in a divisional playoff game, and they expected him to capably fill that role. They thought Isaiah McKenzie had been here long enough and definitely demonstrated in Week 16 against the Patriots that if you want to line him up in the slot, he can deliver for you when Beasley missed that game due to COVID to the tune of 11 catches for 125 yards and a touchdown. So the players that they wanted to promote into those roles they felt were ready to assume those roles and provide that kind of production on a consistent basis. It never happened. Their fail-safe and backup plan was Jamison Crowder as the slot receiver, veteran player with proven production. He, be- he breaks his ankle in week four, and he's lost for the rest of the year. And then on the offensive line, you jettison Daryl Williams and John Feliciano off of the offensive line. You sign Roger Saffold. You match a restricted free agent contract offer, an offer sheet, to Ryan Bates to match the thing with Chicago and keep him here in Buffalo. And you're hoping Spencer Brown in his second year is better than he was as a rookie. And Roger Saffold, you can say what you want. Was he any better than Daryl Williams at guard? I don't know. And and Ryan Bates, I thought he got off to a great first half of the season. Down the stretch, his play was a little shaky at times. Um, and then Spencer Brown, for whatever reason, there were times where his on-field awareness just wasn't there on a consistent basis, and it, and it left Josh vulnerable at times off the edge. I'm not going to pretend to know the protection schemes and all of that stuff. We're just watching it with the untrained eye. But – to say that they didn't try to fill the holes that they left, I, I think would be a little inaccurate. It's just that the guys that they put in those spots, I don't think panned out to the degree that they anticipated. Yeah, the point is this. The Bills built the roster that was a Super Bowl favorite, and we all agreed on it. I mean, there's no two ways about it. They were making some great moves. Now, certainly some of these guys regressed. Some of them didn't turn out the way to be a home run like a fifth-round Matt Milano all-pro linebacker turned out to be. 
but certainly they got some solid players. And in fact, notwithstanding the caller we just had, Blaine from Williamsville, there's a lot of people calling for those players to play more, like Khalil Shakir. You know, let's see more of him. Let's see more of James Cook. So it's, you know, I think the point is this. They built this roster using a formula and a, and a process that has worked really well. Just keep doing that. Certainly you want to hit on every draft pick, but you only get a draft. That's not realistic, guy. though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the draft is a coin flip at best for most of these clubs, even at the highest rounds in the highest picks. But they've had a really good track record. The way they scout these guys, what they look for, how they look for it has yeah. been proven to be pretty reliable and turned over some really good gems. So they can keep on – Brandon Bean and his crew are just going to do the same thing they do. They're going to build this thing the way they see fit to build it. And because it's gotten them to the point where they're a Super Bowl favorite and, be, and, and it took a – a conglomeration of a ton of negative impact things out of their control yeah. to derail the season, a th- derail a 13-3 and three season. So let's just you – know, they can keep doing exactly what they're right. doing. Just, just try and do it a little better. Make sure of some of the draft picks, do some of that. I mean, you, you're not going to hit on all these draft picks. But there's no reason to change the way they do things or go in and say, listen, no matter how good this guy is, we're not taking him because he's a defensive player. Or we're not uh, going to yeah. take this guy because we've, we're, we're full of it. We're, they're going to take the guy that they think can have the best pro career when that comes out. And if it's a, and if it's a corner, they're going to take him. And if it's a wide out, they're going to take him. So certainly they've got a premium on certain positions. And you and I have talked about it. But – yeah, don't don't go into a draft season thinking this has to happen at this position or will never amount to anything. Because let's not forget they just had to put together a pretty good roster with a you know with all the problems that we say they have now. Mm-hmm. They went thirteen and three with those problems, right? Uh, and they're trying to work on it as well. So yeah, I get it. I mean, we all get caught up in wow, this need to be different. This need. To be, it's going to be different next year. It's absolutely going to be different next year. It's going to be a different team. There's going to be different players on it. There's going to be a core guys back that you know of. But this team this year is vastly different than the one they've ended last year with in the division round of the playoffs. So don't get caught up in this has got to happen or that's got to happen because things change fast in the NFL. You build your roster. Just let them build the roster the way they've been building it for the past six years. Let's get back to the phones, and we go to Phil in South Buffalo next. What do you got for us, Phil? Hi, how are you? Good. Um, just some observations um, on, on my my belief. Demar Hamlin, you know, what happened to him, you know, my prayers are with him. I hope uh, the guy could play again if that's his choice. I, I don't think he will. With that, I, I I pray for him, but um, I don't think that was the cause of anything for the Bills dropping through like they did. I think what it comes down to, too, I'm not knocking McDermott. I think he's a great coach, but I don't think he's an angry coach. For him now to address Stephon Diggs, when you look at the end of that game, and Josh Allen is sitting there trying to figure a way to get the ball team back into the game. And he's looking at his tablet, and Stephon Diggs is acting like a two-year-old 
waving his arms and screaming. If that was Little League, you'd have his butt on hey, the bench. Phil, Phil, what was Stefan saying to Josh? I have no idea. Well, how can you make a decision about whether it was right or wrong if you don't even know what he was talking about? How do you know he wasn't cheering Josh on? How do you know he wasn't telling Josh, you keep playing, you're doing great? How do you know that? Because from what I read, he immediately stormed off the field before the game was over. And he was stopped leaving the locker room by, um, I can't think of his name. How do you know he was mad at Josh? I'm not saying he was mad, but then how, if you're not saying he was mad, well, listen, don't don't get on stuff. Steph Diggs did nothing wrong. And there's nothing wrong with Steph Diggs. Steph Diggs was not even out of line. Steph Diggs is fine, and Josh Josh Allen and Steph Diggs are buddies. And Steph Diggs can say things to Josh Allen that would curdle your toes, curdle the milk on your cereal in the morning. Don't worry about that's ridiculous. Phil, it's ridiculous to think that is even a blip on the radar for the offseason. That's ridiculous. Uh, you, you cannot imagine the conversations that go on in an NFL locker room. Uh, you can't even imagine. that. Even if Josh had leapt off the bench and they started going toe-to-toe screaming at each other, <laughs> it's it doesn't – five minutes later, Josh is going to throw him a touchdown pass. It don't matter. That stuff is ridiculous. People project their own everyday lives onto what it's like to be on the sidelines of an NFL game, and they got no idea how stupid that is. It's it, – come on. These guys – Well, the media catches it on camera, and then they blow it up as something. Well, the medias are idiots too. Guys like you and me are idiots because you can't – you. Guys, that, that is totally dumb. That is, that is making an assumption and an observation about something you have no idea about. You don't even know the parameters of the conversation. I mean, I've heard that Steph was yelling at him, telling him not to listen to Dorsey anymore. There's some of that going around. Wow. Like, They've just, created everything. They're trying to make, he's trying to get Josh to call his own plays, right? So you're telling me Josh would be insulted by that? Come on. Yeah. It doesn't matter what Steph said. Man, they're trying to win a game. They are trying to win a game, and they are in a fight. And they are getting, they're getting it handed to them pretty good yesterday on Sunday. So, man, oh, man, to take that little snapshot and to project it into a wider scope of where their season was. Steph Diggs had one of the great wide receiving years of all time in franchise history. He's okay. Josh is okay. That's that's just people. I know, I know it's it's the disappointment and the frustration of fans using that to vent their own frustrations. Don't. It's not worth it. Steph and Josh are good. I mean, they're fine. I don't even talk to you. They're fine. They're they are they love and respect each other, and they're gonna be they're gonna be laughing and drinking whiskey and smoking cigars when they're sixty. They're fine. They're gonna. They're lifelong buddies, and they in a yelling match when Steph comes off the field, when they're gonna laugh about it. It is not a big deal. Just think and about that's it. Not, it's not a big deal just because it was Steph and Josh. It's not a big deal when usually when any of that happens on any sideline. And the be- and the closest thing you can equate it to is, you know, these guys consider themselves like brothers practically. That's how close those two are. 
Now ask yourself, if you have a brother, do you ever fight with your brother? Don't think. You know what yeah, I mean? Don't it's think, like and don't you think, have arguments. And, and believe Even me, with the people that are closest to you, it happens. Sean McDermott is very good at having uncomfortable conversations with his players. Yeah. If there was an uncomfortable conversation, Sean McDermott would not, is not going to shy away from it. He's very direct. He's not going to shy away from it. And if he said he spoke to Steph. Which he did yesterday. And Steph said, hey, here's where I was at. And John said, well, listen. And Sean would have – they would have had a conversation about it. And, it's, and that's it. It's okay. Have, have a good offseason. I'll see you in a few weeks. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Break time for I us here. You. When we come back, we'll hear from head coach Sean McDermott as we play some of his more notable comments from yesterday's press conference as he wrapped up the season with the media. That's coming your way next here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live here on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And wanted to play some of the more notable comments from head coach Sean McDermott from his press conference yesterday when he had his season wrap-up session with the media and thought a good jumping-off point would be Coach McDermott's assessment of the most pressing areas to focus on this offseason. More specifically, <coughs> what areas? And you've had, you know, a day to kind of decompress, maybe watch some film, that sort of a thing. What areas do you think you need to address? Well, and I'll know more because um, today was really, for the most part, Adam meeting with players, exit interviews, and, and whatnot, um, and, and a team meeting at the end of it all. Um, but just overall, I mean, you look at, like we talked last night, you know, the game's won. It starts you know, and ends at the line of scrimmage. And so we've got to, you know, look at that. And then you look at the quarterback play. I thought, you know, we've, we've got a quarterback that we feel really good about and should feel good about. Um, but we all, uh, myself included and, and Josh and, and the leaders of this football team, we also have to improve uh, in certain areas to, to move this organization forward. Yeah, I mean, no surprise there. Um, and they'll be doing hard and fast evaluations here over the next couple of days. And then after that, you know, the Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott will huddle up with the personnel department and they'll chart a course for the offseason in terms of what needs to be added, what needs to be subtracted, and what needs to be improved. Um, Coach McDermott was asked specifically about his evaluation of their defensive line they played seven games without Von Miller after he went down on Thanksgiving with a season-ending injury. There were other injuries across the defensive front, most notably Jordan Phillips. Ed Oliver missed some time at the beginning of the year. So even Tim Settle uh, missed some time with a calf injury early in the season. So here is Coach McDermott's assessment of the play of Buffalo's defensive line this season. I thought we were probably um, more more inconsistent than I would have liked to have seen this year, um, in particular after Vaughn went down. And you know, I thought each one of those guys had their games where they played well. Um, just overall as a group, I didn't feel like, or I felt like we were a little bit too inconsistent. And uh, and yesterday being being the latest example of that. A little inconsistent, and I think that's a fair assessment. Quite frankly, I mean. I mean, there weren't many times where uh, they got run over at the line of scrimmage, but unfortunately their last game was an example of that. And I think it was particularly tough for Bills fans to take 
knowing there were three backups on Cincinnati's offensive line. Yeah, and you can make a case for the, the conditions and the slippery footing and and the the style of play that the Bills defensive ends or defensive linemen use as compared to, to Cincinnati, why Cincinnati wasn't as, as affected or seemingly as affected as the Bills were, whatever. Um, yeah, just n- nobody on Sunday, this last Sunday, was good enough in the Cincinnati game. And while there was some moments – um, where they did some good things. You know, they put together a 15-play drive, 75 yards for a touchdown, the one where Josh snuck it in. Uh, and, you know, Josh made a nice throw to Gabe Davis for that touchdown in the uh, in the corner, but um, or down the, the sidelines. Yeah, about? the previous oh. week. You know, they did some nice things at different times, um, even during the Cincinnati game, but it was just too little, too late, and too sporadic to make a difference in that game. Um so yeah, he's. I, I, it'll be a while. It'll be a minute before the. I don't know what the the, the contamination of the way that season ended, but where they can get a, an objective analysis. Even I, I think even for coaches who who kind of know the ins and outs, you know what every guy was supposed to be doing and how well they were doing it. Uh, to get that out of your to get that out of your system is to you, along with the disappointment of how the season ended. Yeah. It's going to take some time. So even McDermott yesterday, after they watched the film, probably wasn't a hundred percent dispassionate about what he had seen. Injuries for the first time in three seasons played a significant role in player availability or lack thereof through the course of the 2022 campaign. Certainly more so than in the previous two years when the Bills were one of the healthiest teams in football over that two-year stretch. And he had an interesting comment in particular about the injuries across the defensive line. So here is Coach McDermott on how injuries will factor into the roster evaluation and the plans to avoid such injuries going forward. Yeah, that's part of the evaluation process. You know, we've been pretty good over the years with that. Um, a lot goes into that. Um, and, and I think a lot goes into it that we have to look at this year. We've got to turn over every, every leaf and make sure that, hey, our schedule, what we're doing in the training room, what the rehab looks like, what our strength and conditioning program looks like, all of that has to – we've got to put it all on the table and say, hey, what's, what's working, what isn't working, and why we had the injuries we had. Um, there were some patterns in there as well, in particular the, the calf injury at the defensive line position. And so just like on the field when patterns happen, we have to look – look into those patterns and figure out why. Yeah, the calf injuries were interesting on the defensive line. It proved costly in this last game because Daquan Jones came down with a calf injury coming out of last the previous week's game, and though he was able to practice on a limited basis, he could not go on Sunday. It was the first game he missed all season, and they missed that dude. That was the, yeah. He was the most valuable and consistent interior defensive lineman on this roster and when he was not on the field, you saw a major difference. Yeah, he was a big body who played with a high motor. Um, him, along with Jordan Phillips, when, before Jordan Phillips dislocated his shoulder, um, those two were really an upgrade and really was as good a defensive tackle situation as the Bills had had since Sean McDermott started. Um, and then he's sprinkling Ed Oliver with that. Uh, and those guys – and Ed Oliver's play really elevated as well. So uh, they missed him. Big time. We we were we saw it coming a couple of days before when they started elevating Eli Onku and and um, Kingsley Jonathan. We thought, oh man, it doesn't look good. And yeah. sure enough, those guys weren't able to and go. And Tim Settle missed time with a Tim calf Settle. injury at the beginning of the year. That's right. So the calf injuries are going to be under the microscope for those defensive linemen because they don't want to run into that problem going forward. 
Um, we got time for one more here from Coach McDermott, and it deals with the subject we let off the show with today. A lot of the players in their um, exit interviews with the media basically talked about how they felt the team emotionally ran out of gas uh, in this last game against the Bengals. Coach McDermott was posed the same question. Um, I mean, you could always look at that and say, as you talk about, hey, the whys, right? You could. I'm not going to discount that, but I'm also gonna, not going to use that as an excuse, Mark. This is, um, you know, we got beat on the football field, and sometimes your energy is taken from you when the game's not going your way, and and they're having their way, the other team, and 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 so. Um, we were playing from behind early, and, and we had a hard time catching up. And so that gets to be a drainage of your energy after a while when you're playing from behind the way we were. So, um, you know, this other piece over here, uh, I think there's, there's always things, right? There's always things that come up through a season, and our team did a phenomenal, phenomenal job of, of handling those areas. Um, uh, probably more than any team I've been around uh, or any team in terms of what they've gone through this season. Uh, but that said, uh, they're not excuses as to why we get the result we got. And I and that's kind of an answer you expect out of a head coach because a head coach never makes excuses. Um, but it was interesting that a handful of players just felt like they didn't have anything left in the tank to give, especially when they got off to such a rough start down 14 nothing. Yeah, and I've it, been there, It does man. take more when you're down I've to come there. back into a game, right? Like, I've been there. Yeah, they, they had – dug a hole for themselves and 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 to their credit I mean the first thing you got to do when you've dug yourself a hole the first thing you got to do is stop digging right uh, and then when they finally got that 75 yard drive and they got back on a 14-7 okay here we go again you know we got we're back into it and then um, the half ends and they go you know then it's 17-7 17-10 it's like wow um, you, they, they were just couldn't get any traction. And I think this, too, one of the things that happens in games like that, when your team, and, and we don't know for sure, we've conjectured, you and I were talking about, you know, how much the DeMar Hamlin, how much the, what had happened to them and all the adversity they've gotten thrown at them, uh, weighed on them in this one game. But in, when you're in a game like that, what you need to happen is to for somebody defensively or offensively is to do something superlative out of the blue. Uh, make a great run and catch, a big angry run, or a, a, you know, an, an incredible tackle or a sack or, or a tipped interception, something to spark your team to get the momentum and the emotion back where you can all kind of rally around that thing. In this case, it looked to me like one of the rare occasions where it might have taken two or three of those plays. You know, they might have had to go on a run of just, yeah. wow, we really got, you know, before they would have really woken up. Um, to use that phrase, uh, but having you know, in all of that, the simple fact remains: they were lacking in that game in a lot of ways. Yeah. In, you know, they just uh, energy, execution, um, attitude, grit. It looked like they, you know, they were they were just kind of going through the motions, and that's why you, you know, that's why I feel the way I do about you know the way their season ended. Yeah. We have to take a break here. A lot of you who phoned in your opinions yesterday and today so far believe that an influx of talent is needed 
At the wide receiver position, Coach McDermott was asked about his wide receiver group. We'll tell you what he thought of their performance through the course of this past season next. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Bills fans, Connect Life needs your help during the month of January. Every blood donor during this month will receive a pair of Bills-branded socks. Connect Life is the only blood donation agency that keeps your donation here for patients in western New York. To make your appointment, please go to connectlife.org today. Wanted to pass along one more comment from Coach McDermott that we thought fans would be of, you know, find interesting. I know a lot of people are clamoring for an influx on the offensive side of the ball of some receiving talent. Coach McDermott was asked about the production he saw from the wide receiver group this season. Here was his assessment on that position group. You know, I think that's a, it depends on the game overall. You know, like some games I thought we did, some games I thought uh, maybe not enough. Um, you know, um, Steph is always going to, you know, be our be our main guy out there in terms of what he did this year for us and the guy that we want to get the ball to. Um, um, but overall, probably more than anything, just too many drop balls overall. I think those those came to came came to haunt us at times. Coach McDermott is not wrong, Steve. This team was second in the league in drop passes. Green Bay was the only team that had more than them. I believe Green Bay had 30 on the regular season. Buffalo had 28. And let's not forget, they played in one less game. Yeah, we harped on it a lot during the season. It was it was like something was in the water sometimes um, with the drops they had, and they and drops are never good. But they always, you know, you always seem to remember the ones that were in crucial moments, kind of thing. But everybody's gonna if you're gonna throw the ball sixty percent of the time, which most of the teams do, at least that much, uh, you're gonna have drops. And I'm not gonna say that Josh sometimes throws the balls hard to catch. But, yeah, drops are drops, and you got to work on it. We well, you don't want to – drops are going to happen for every team in the league. You just don't want to be at the top of the league in that category. Yeah, exactly. You want to be middle to lower third. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you don't want to be leading the league or right there at the top. And, as we said, the Bills were second in the league in drop passes. It's your only Green Bay had more. And uh, did you? What's the other end of the? Who? Do you, do you know? Who had the fewest? Yeah. I'd have to look it well, up. I'd look that up. That that would be interesting because it might be teams like Seattle or, you know, that don't Houston, throw it as much. Houston you mean? or somebody or Baltimore, you know, kind of thing. I don't know. That's interesting. But it, it, it it's always the most glaring. It's the biggest mistake most people see because we all watch the ball, right? Was Atlanta with nine? Chicago was second How with about 12. That? See what I'm saying? They don't throw the ball. Right. That's that's yeah. So you're going to it's a little bit like living with the interceptions you get with Mahomes, Burrow and Josh. It's like, "Eh, okay. You know, try not to make him in the red zone kind of thing, but you're going to you're going to have those. And you know what? That's fine because for every one of those, you know, Josh makes one of those falling out of bounds, getting hit sidearm to the middle of the field touchdown thing right. in the end zone. That happens, too. So that's fine, too. They got to take those as well. We have to take a break here because when we come back, our number two leading us off will be NBC Sports' Peter King, who had some thoughts on the end of Buffalo season and where things go from here for the franchise. 
He'll be joining us next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. This is Buffalo Bills Radio. Here we are, hour number two. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And uh, we'll be joined by Peter King from NBC Sports in just a moment. In the meantime, we go to the phones. And leading us off here in hour number two is Marie in Amherst. What do you got for us, Marie? Hey, guys. So, Steve, I understand you when you talk about overreactions toward the roster, but when is enough enough? If I'm the GM, Brandon Bean today, I'm talking straight to the Bills Mafia today. I'm telling them that with high risk come big rewards, changes are coming, and he needs to back his statements up. We need to retool this roster. Whatever we put together this year for a great season, that's got nothing to do with what's coming next year because of all the up-and-coming teams. So I'm not paying Gabe Davis. I'm sending him to Atlanta for the second-round pick in this draft. Um, we watched Von Miller get traded. He's a legend. I like Tremaine, but I'm sending him to Seattle for the 20th overall pick in this draft. And then I'm going to get – I'm going to – you got to get some more pieces. I'm going to Kansas City, take one of their tight ends, Jody Fortune from Buffalo, New York. He is <clears throat> he runs through defenders blocking in the run game. He clear lanes for Kelsey. He gets touchdowns himself. We got extra picks there, extra money. And <clears throat> straight to Brandon Bean, he needs to know that we want Jordan Poyer to retire a bill. Like stop letting our legendary players go away. I keep watching Legends of the Game when we at the game or if we watching on TV, they bringing back players like Marshawn Lynch, who we like. He's a Seattle. He's a Seattle guy. He won a Super Bowl there. Like, let's bring – let's make our own legends and bring our players back because I think that's just – it was just too much this season. So, okay. we need to make some changes. Sean McDermott been here since 2017. You know, okay, he's been to a Super Bowl. He led a defense there with Carolina Panthers. So he knows what it takes to get to the Super Bowl on the defensive side. But something's just not clicking there on that side because they they haven't got it done. And then we watch two- and three-year players back-to-back at Cincinnati. They go on to the AFC Championship game. Two, three-year players back-to-back. So... The youth, maybe it is some formative with getting younger players in here and building around them and creating more. But we we got to make some change, some trades. We got to we got to do something. All right, but thanks, Marie. And I'll say this: to- I'll say this for you. And I don't disagree with most of what you said. Uh, and I said it before: next year's team, when they when they this off season starts, and he'll probably say, you know, a lot of stuff. Everything's on the table. Uh, and you're right. There are certain things you got to make. It's a business. Uh, Jordan Poyer knows that. Tredavious White knows that. Gabe Davis knows that. All those guys, you know, like, and and I know that <clears throat> you kind of do this to yourself, and I don't want to bring it up, but you said you need to keep Jordan Poyer a bill. You need to make your great players stay great and keep them in-house, but you already traded away Tredavious White <laughs> to the <laughs> – you traded away Tredavious White to Seattle. So I, I, I'm with you. The thing that nobody gets and why it's always so sad, particularly for the players and the coaches, when the season's over, so's that team. 
there's going to be a lot of new faces on this team because you got we there's a list we got a whole we've got a graphic on our screens right here. Twenty one free agents. There's twenty one free agents and restricted free agents on the roster. Twenty. Twenty one. That's a lot of guys on a forty seven man roster for, on game day. It's going to be a different team next year. Yeah, they'll be. You know, Josh will still be here. You know that's going to happen. Diggs going to be here. I get that. But it's going to be some guys that you love and respect that aren't going to be here. And these guys that are going to be here have to learn to include and make the family different in the locker room. So, Marie, you're right. Whatever moves are out there, and we can conjure up, you know, like you said, trading Gabe Davis to Atlanta and and Tredavious White to Seattle. And who else was the other one? I, I can't remember. But, you know, okay, I, I'm not even – you're way ahead of me in that game. She wanted to trade Tremaine, actually. Tremaine Edmonds. Who's oh, no Tremaine. longer going to be under contract. So. so I'm, you know, so yeah, it's going to be a different team. And, and you're right. If they feel there's need, change that needs to be done, they, it's their responsibility to do it, whether it's comfortable or not. Yeah. Let's welcome in now uh, NFL insider for NBC Sports, Peter King, who also has got his weekly football morning in America column. Peter, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Are you guys all right? Or I'm worried about people. Yeah, we're 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 weathering our way through (laughs) this one. We've we've been here before. We're yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, we've been here before. So you know how it goes. Good to see you, Peter. Thanks for coming on. What are your thoughts about this this playoff tournament so far in 2023? Well, I said in my column yesterday that this is really the first time that I've really thought about the bills as uh you know this the the sand in the hourglass is starting to fall out you know and i've not thought of it to that point um exactly like you know before this to that point exactly like this and the reason is because i think this is the fourth year that josh allen has taken this team to the playoffs Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, Josh Allen, I mean, the core. And, you know, just other than maybe that first year of 2019, you know, when they lost to Houston, this is the first year where I say that they look like they might be a little bit away, you know, You know, I remember last year was just this week last year after the Kansas City playoff game that I just said, man, the the Bills next year, they're going to be my team. They're going to be the team that I'm going to pick to win the Super Bowl. And to me, the difference between last year and this year, when last year I think they scored 83 points in the two playoff games, uh, and this year they scored whatever it was, 46, 47 points. It's just, it's just a different, it's a different team, first of all. And, you know, Steve, you're talking about the, the looming free agents. It's a different team every year. There's no question about it. But I think what is different about this team this year, particularly from last year, is that last year's team at the end of the year just looked like a juggernaut that needed a few tweaks on defense. Uh, that isn't the case now. This is a team that looks like it really does need some help on offense. 
I think uh, it appears that we're we're wrong about Gabe Davis. I was certainly. I thought he was going to be one of the five, six, seven best number two receivers in football, and he wasn't that this year. Uh, and you know, I also think that Sean McDermott's going to have to look at his team, and I think he's going to have to look at uh, a little bit of his game day management and look at his team and say, I might have to be a little bit bolder, particularly late in games. Um, yeah, might have to go for things that uh, in the past I really haven't gone for per se, you know, say fourth down. The fourth and two at the end of the first half, the, maybe even the fourth and ten at the end of the second half. It, you know, there's just a bunch of things I think that all aspects of this franchise – can look at and examine and and say how how are we going to get better for 2023 it looks to me peter and you can tell me what you think of this theory you know to your point about investing in the offense the chiefs have clearly done that year over year even last offseason when they trade away tyree kill you know they go out and they get valdez scantling they get smith schuster and then before the trade deadline they get Kadarius tony i mean constantly adding you know, talent and weapons around Patrick Mahomes. They also made some heavy investments in their offensive line the last couple of off-seasons. Joe Tooney in free agency, Orlando Brown. They draft Creed Humphrey. They insulate the quarterback and give him every opportunity to succeed. You know, we know the Bengals' top three receivers are tough to top two in terms of talent. Buffalo's really got to go all in on offense here in this off-season because – even if you sacrifice talent on the defensive end, it seems if you're going to get to the promised land in the AFC, you got to outscore teams and then hope your defense can just hold it together enough to have the opponent score four, three or four less points than you do. I, I would totally agree. I think that, uh, yeah, I remember it was now almost two years ago when the Cincinnati Bengals, I, I think, I thought they were crazy to not take Panay Sewell uh, instead, and instead, not crazy, I just, I, I didn't like them taking Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell. Well, obviously, and look, Panay Sewell might have been a great Bengal, but Jamar Chase, uh, since that pick, uh, has been a huge add uh, to this franchise. And and I do think that's correct. I think what happened in Kansas City, I think is such an interesting way to look at how to build your team. Because I think everybody uh, uh, thought that Kansas City was going to take a step back this year. <clears throat> I thought if they were 85% on offense of what they were, last year we'd be fine and instead they were 110 percent of what they were on offense with um you know with Tyreek Hill and one of the reasons is I think you really have to know your team well and Andy Reid and Brett Veach knew their team and look this is my opinion this is not them this but look I think that Tyreek Hill became a problem in 2021. We didn't see that at the time. 
but I think he became a problem. He wanted the ball a lot more. Uh, he he was an incredibly squeaky wheel. And so the Chiefs went out and they said, okay, we'll trade you if we can. And they did that. And the reason that they can do that is that they could then trust Patrick Mahomes to bring new guys into the fold. You know, and, and it's amazing. It's amazing. But 43% of Patrick Mahomes' passing yards, maybe it was 47%, but it's in the 40s, were all of those new wide receivers this year. And, you know, you know the, their new wide receivers gave them more yards than the wide receivers who left last year, led, obviously, by Tyreek Hill. So if you trust your quarterback to bring new guys into the fold, then Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, they're going to be able to get the job done. You just have to trust your quarterback to be able to get those guys up and running. And Andy Reid and Brett Veach trusted Patrick Mahomes, and their trust was well-placed. Well, the Bills, it seems the Bills trust Josh Allen every bit as much as the Chiefs trust Mahomes, but Josh is work. it seems, and to our surprise, we're like you. We Everybody had high expectations of this wide receiver room. Uh, certainly, Steph Diggs didn't disappoint this season. But are the Bills in a position where they're asking too much of Josh Allen at this point because of the roster around him? And if so, and, and they do go the, the way that Brownie suggests, that starts to tilt the, tilt the table towards offense, not just in the draft, but in free agency and everything else. You know, my feeling is that, uh, you know, every team is different. But I do agree with you, Steve. I think that uh, probably, as as you look in retrospect now, Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, they might have trusted Josh Allen a little bit too much. I mean, you saw... Um, at the end of this year, they have to go back and they have to go get Cole Beasley to come back. You know, they have to get John Brown to come back. You know, it's ironic, isn't it, that at the end of this season, they really could have used Isaiah Hodgins, you know, who was really good for the Giants. And the Giants think they have an absolute keeper in Isaiah Hodgins. Um and so they were they were happy that the Bills tried to, um, you know, sneak him uh, off the roster and then back onto the practice squad um, because clearly they they used a resource that, you know, Brandon Bean and that coaching staff found and developed. So and I think there's more of that. They can do more of that. But I I also think that you really may have to look at the market this year and go out and get at least one proven good receiver uh, to come in this year. Who might that be? I think there's a lot of names. One guy I would look into a lot if I were the Bills uh, is Allen Robinson, who uh, went to the Rams last year, and, and they really didn't make that work very well. Who knows? The Rams are very interested now in 
trying to build through the draft a little more than they have in the past. Maybe you can get Allen Robinson. I mean, look, there's going to be a bunch of guys out there. There always is. But I think the biggest thing is you do have to build that offense back up because you have to look at what your competitors are doing. And Kansas City and Cincinnati both uh, overall right now have better weapons than Buffalo does. Let's look at the final four teams standing here a little bit, Peter, as we you know, are closing in on championship weekend. And I, I don't know about you, but as high-flying as, as the Chiefs and Bengals game could potentially be, Eagles and Niners is just going to be it, – it just rings of an old-school slugfest, does it not? Uh, that's that's going to be one of these games that – Honestly, at the end of that game, you say, man, I'm glad we got the extra week before the Super Bowl because, you know, there was this stat this year that uh, teams, when they uh, play the Niners the next week, they've got an awful record. Um, and I think that is going to be the case. You saw at the end of the San Francisco-Dallas game uh, that, you know, Jimmy Ward, the safety, just demolished. Kevante Turpin, uh, the Dallas receiver on that weird fluke play at the end of that game. That's really what uh, that's really what San Francisco has done. They are a physical, very, very tough team to play. Um, but on the other hand, you know, one of the things that I like about what Howie Roseman has done in in Philadelphia, you know, I was at the game on Saturday. And, you know, I just kept looking, and they have wave after wave. They have so many defensive linemen. It turns out they rotated 12 defensive linemen in this game. 12 guys played at least 10 snaps. Brandon Graham's 35 years old. He played 12 snaps in that game and got a sack of Daniel Jones in the fourth quarter. So, you know, they figured out a way to – to have a bunch of older guys getting older like Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. They play less, but they still produce. I think it's going to be a terrific game. Uh, I'd probably take the Eagles. I just have a lot of belief right now in Jalen Hurts. But uh, it would not surprise me one iota uh, if the 49ers won a 19-17 game. And you look at the four quarterbacks that are in this this round, these championship rounds, Brock Purdy, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, and Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes is the oldest one at 27. And you look at the quarterbacks in the AFC with Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, uh, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, uh, Tua Tonga-Vailoa when he started in healthy for the uh, Miami Dolphins. And then the NFC, of course, you got Jalen Hurts, uh, Brock Purdy, Cousins, Brady, who was there, Dak Prescott, and then Daniel Jones. It uh, is it. I don't know. What, give me an idea. Of your pop. What you think of this population at the top of the conferences of these quarterbacks? Certainly, start with the AFC. These guys are young. They seem really good. They seem to have a lot of staying power. They seem like they're the real deal. Not this one. You know, not a one-year wonder. I mean, these guys are good, and they look like they're going to be good for a very long time. I would agree. I mean, the one X factor there is Lamar Jackson. You don't really know what's going to happen to him 
Um, you don't know where he's going to end up. I will not be shocked if either Lamar Jackson or Aaron Rodgers ends up with the Jets. Um, you know, in Rodgers' case, short term. In Lamar's case, long term. Um, I just sense that the owner of that team probably has a little bit of quiet desperation versus some of the other teams. But I, I, I think that Lamar, I think there's a good chance Lamar will be on the move. Now, that's not a certainty, but I do think the top three guys, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, uh, you could also make the case that they're the top three in all of football. Um, I do think that, um, you know, Jalen Hurts is a top five player as well. Uh, I think Jalen Hurts is uh, both work ethic and ability to get guys around him to play at a higher level is something that every team looks for in every quarterback. And so I, I, I think right now, you know, the way I sort of look at the Bills now is that you guys are both right in what you've talked about in the last few minutes. The Bills are in an arms race with Cincinnati and Kansas City. And that is going to be what will determine which team survives every year. Which teams are the ones that look at the landscape and say, we have to do X, Y, and Z, and then go out and actually do it. That is going to be something that uh, is really going to help determine who wins a very, very stacked AFC in the next four or five years. Last one I've got for you, Peter. You touched on it already, the Jets and addressing the quarterback position. If you had to handicap an either-or situation with Rodgers and Lamar, which would you put odds on to land more? Who's more likely to land in New York, you think? Because a lot of people, and I believe you were talking about this too in one of your columns, about how it might take two ones to get Rodgers away from Green Bay. Is, is Woody Johnson willing to part with that kind of currency? I would be if I were him. Why not? I mean, what are draft choices, really? Yeah. What are they? They're a means to help you get better. If I told you right now you're the Jets, you haven't had a quarterback in 100 years. You really haven't had a quarterback <laughs> in a half century, and that's not an exaggeration. I mean, you've had guys who've played the position. But if you had a top five quarterback on your team in the last 50 years since Joe Namath, no. So let's say that you can get Aaron Rodgers to, to commit to you absolute total minimum for two years. Um, you, you know, you ask yourself this question, would I do that? I would do it. I would uh, put Zach Wilson in the room with him. And I would just say, okay, Zach, soak it in, you know, learn from this guy. And then let's see what happens in a couple of years. Uh, but look, I don't know what they're going to do. When I wrote about Aaron Rodgers in my column, I said, I guess that it would be my guess that Green Bay would look for two ones. I don't know anything. Haven't talked to a soul about it in Green Bay, but that's just, that's, that's my guess. And you know, to me, uh, you know, the whole Lamar Jackson thing makes me a little nervous, quite honestly. Um, he missed five and three-quarter games a year ago. He missed six and three-quarter games this year. And you're talking about a guy who makes a lot of his 
explosive plays with his legs. Do you want a guy who's missed 34% of the snaps the last two years, a guy that you'd put everything on his plate, and do you want to trust that over the next eight to ten years he's going to be a healthy player? I mean, he might be, but recent uh, history says he's not going to be. So that's a difficult thing for me. Um, it's difficult with Rodgers, too, because of, you know, if it would, you know, the compensation you'd have to pay. I get it, but I don't know. The Jets just look like they're going to be on the hamster wheel of devastation in the next couple of years unless they do something bold. Pete, it's always great to talk to you. Thanks for taking some time for us. Good luck, and uh, I hope we see you down the road. Sounds great, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks, Peter. That's uh, NFL insider for NBC Sports, Peter King, joining us here on the show. And, yeah, it's it's a verified arms race in the AFC, and the Bills have to add a few more weapons to their arsenal. Um, yeah, I'm here. Because, you know, Bengals one through three at receiver, it's better. Than, than what Buffalo yeah, yeah. has, and you could argue the same thing for the Chiefs. And and not far behind, because they're going to get Calvin Ridley off suspension next year, are the Jacksonville, Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah. He did say something there about, about the Jets, that they're going to be on the hamster wheel of destruction. <laughs> that is, That's a great line. That is a great – I wrote it down, <laughs> hamster wheel of destruction. <laughs> Let's not let's not get our let's not get our ticket punched to the hamster wheel of destruction. Yeah. <laughs> let's try to avoid that at all costs. Wow, um, good. That's where good. the Jets live more often than not. Yeah, but good hearing from Pete, though. They get Aaron Rodgers or they get Lamar Jackson. This division is going to be supremely interesting. How? Yeah. How? Because my look look at your own division. We're talking about Kansas City and Cincinnati, Steve. Miami's got a top two set of receivers that are better than what Buffalo you're has. Here and all of a sudden you're going, you kind of get quiet thinking about what it would mean to have Aaron Rodgers in the jet in a jet. Jets uniform. have a championship caliber defense. They have a number one wide receiver in Garrett Wilson. They got to fill in after that, but they got a they got a game breaker in Brees Hall in the backfield too. Yeah, they do. So yeah, that they're right there. They get a quarterback of that caliber. They're right there. Yeah, they are. That's that's no fun to think about. No, because then you can't make fun of them anymore. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so disappointing. Yeah. All right, we'll take a break here. We'll get back to your phone calls because we're asking you, you're the GM of the Bills today, what are you saying when you address the media in your season wrap-up press conference? You let us know at 803-0550. We're back with your phone calls next here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. We've got to get back to the phones now. We've been asking you, you're the Bills GM today. What do you say at your press conference? Uh, we go to the phones, and we lead off this segment with John in Buffalo. What do you got first, John? Well, I was thinking about all the talk about giving Josh Hammond some, uh, some more weapons in the wide receiver core. Uh, have the Bills even thought about signing uh, Odell Beckham? And another thought, with all the uh, stuff that went on towards the end of the season with the snowfall and the blizzard and moving back and forth to Detroit and then watching their brother basically die on the field, 
what I was thinking of possibly would be suffering from a little bit of PTSD. Uh, years ago, Clint Malarcha, Buffalo Savers, yep. caught a skate on his throat and almost bled to death on the ice. And I know that that affected the whole team. Uh, for almost a month, they were really terrible. That was just my thoughts, and I'll hang up and listen to you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, John. Appreciate the call. Um, we know that you know OBJ did visit. Uh, like he did the other clubs that were interested in him when the season was still going on. It was back in November. And, you know, everybody entertained thoughts of what it would take, probably here, probably in Dallas. What was the third team that was interested in him? I don't even remember. Um, in any event, I think OBJ knew he wasn't going to be ready to play, knowing he just had ACL surgery in the, at the end of February. And so he chose to wait until this offseason and enter the free agent market a year removed from surgery, which is probably a much better situation for him, quite frankly. Yeah. What's he going to cost then? Will the demand for him be higher with 32 teams vying for his services or who knows, five or six teams vying for his services? Perhaps. Um, we also have to remember there's also going to be a flood of other players available at the receiver position. It's not just him. It's the whole pool. Right. of the free agent market. So maybe the price comes down. And if that's the case, maybe he is an option. I don't know. Von yeah. Miller said he wasn't yeah. writing them off yet. Yeah, yesterday. Nobody, nobody is signing OBJ until he's good enough to work out for him and pass a physical. And, and he was not subjecting himself to a physical at the time when, you know, the bills were looking at him yeah. and he was talking and he, when he had gotten cleared to play. So uh, that, that was off the table for most of it. And, and uh, you're right uh, as for the bills and how that affected him. I was, yeah, I remember the Clint Malarchuk incident. They had people in the stadium that, that were falling, passing out. Uh, they had like six or seven people. I remember the number was six or seven people in the stadium had chest pains when Clint Malarchuk went down. It was, it was shocking. It was hardcore stuff. It was shocking uh, what happened to Clint Malarchuk. And people reacted to it in the stands. So you can imagine what it was for the players. And Clint Malarchuk, I happened to be around him the day after that. He did some media interviews. I was, <laughs> I was interning. And he didn't feel, you know, when he, it happened, he put his hand up to the, where he got cut on his neck. And he said, I was okay. And then I, I got up on my knees and I looked toward the bench um, and then when I saw the look on all my teammates' faces, I got terrified. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so there you have it. it um, so that really affected those guys on that team. And you can imagine what it was like. You saw the pictures on Monday Night Football of Josh and Steph Diggs and Tredavious White and all those guys who watched them resuscitate DeMar. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that they had that. And unlike the old days – where, like, even in my day, where it would be like the guys patting you on the back say, well, yeah, suck it up, you know, let's go. Yeah. Strap it on. Now, there's healthcare professionals in the building. They went out and got outside help uh, and yeah, extra additional, help. additional help. They have people on staff, but they also got additional people in to talk. Because oh, all, all of them were dealing guys. with it. All these guys were struggling with it. it our, we were. In this in this building, in the, in our end of the building, in our control room, and here with us, I, I was struggling with it. Yeah, it was rough. So it's no surprise that it affected the way they played, because it affected the way they prepared. It affected their everyday life. 
Tredavious White said in, in his first interview after the incident, he said, I, when I close my eyes, I can't see I anything. I can't unsee it. I can't unsee what they had to do to DeMar to get him. He was trying to watch television to be a distraction. He said every time a commercial comes on, that's all he sees. That's all he could think about. So, yeah, it was bad. It was bad. So, Brownie and I spent the whole first segment of the show talking about what we think and the contributing factors to the performance we saw the Bills put on last Sunday. And we, both of us, believe in our heart of hearts that they're still dealing with it. And I'm telling you, I still, they're going to be dealing with it even when they come back for training. Some of these guys are not going to be the same because of what happened to it, to DeMar. Yeah. Uh, just like DeMar doesn't seem, he, he's not going to be the same. Um, so it's, I think it's a real thing. And I know it sounds like, you know, they're going to be the cynics who say it's an excuse and, you know, whatever. They just weren't good enough. That's fine. Uh, but I believe. It's real. I believe it's a real thing. And, uh, that, and it affected the outcome of the season for this club. Let's go back to the phones and we go to Mark in Jersey City. What do you got for us, Mark? You're on One Bills Live. How you doing, Chris? Good, good Spurs point, uh, three points yesterday for you, buddy. Um, damn, uh, I, I think this team needs just a little bit of a style change offensively. And what I mean by that is you look at the 49ers, no matter what they do, you know what they're going to do. They, they, their core tenants, they run, they play good, they're good up front, and they make it easy on their quarterback. And in Northeast football, when they, the fur flies, it's like they don't have like what the Bengals had, the, the, the Patriots all those years. No matter how you can attribute it to Brady, they could always either control the line of scrimmage or reset it. And they had big backs that ran behind their pads. The Bills have not had that in, I could say Marshawn Lynch, but I, I never really consider him a Bill. Maybe Derek Holmes. Right. Yeah. Run behind your pads. Fred could run with power a little bit, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Something like that, like just something to change it up. Just allow Josh to relax. And people say, "Oh, you don't want to have redressed running backs anymore." Like Peyton Manning came in and had Marshall Falk. They traded him and drafted Edger and James. Like that was Peyton Manning. Uh, Tom Brady in his early parts of his career, they were a running team. Yeah, Corey Dillon. Yeah, Antoine Smith. Right. You know, big, big back. I mean, for his first. And then, you know, LeGarrette Blunt. I mean, I remember the one game he had against the Bills. It was just always had that guy that could really just drill people. And the Bills just don't have that. And I know people say that's an old, tired idea. But he can also catch passes, too. Pick up, you know, be much better on third down blitz pickup as opposed to the backs they have now. One other thing. You know, just having a different personality type on this team. I know they have the, you know, humble and hungry, do it with love. They have the guys get up and speak. I think, you know, Steve will attest this. And those teams, like the guy, the caller with digs, you need more digs on this team. You need more guys that are going to get pissed during games like that. On defense, maybe on the offensive line. Just there's, I think there's just a, a Richie Incognito missing on this team. And the, the, the team's, Steve played on had a lot of those guys. Surly, nasty, played with an edge. They weren't out there to so- swap jerseys at the end of the games. Yeah, that's I hear you. All right, Mark, thank you. That's uh, that's uh, there's a lot in there, and you're right. Um, I think one of the reasons they kept John Feliciano around was because he was one of those guys that I said, if he's not in the fight, he's trying to get to the middle of it. Um, yeah, you need you need some guys that might the teams I had on were notorious for having a couple of guys like that. Daryl Talley was one of them, and so was Leonard Smith. Leonard Smith, yeah. Um, 
you had some guy, and Jimmy Richer was like that. Um, you had Mitch, some guys who, <laughs> who were not afraid to throw some punches in a fight, and the other team knew they would. Uh, so, uh, you know, and Miami, you look at them, then those teams they had with Dan Marino, they had Brian Cox, and that guy would fight the, the officials for crying out loud. So you needed guys. There's a, there is a school of thought in the National Football League. It's not just me and you talking on it. The, there's a school of thought in the NFL where you need some guys on your team that you just hope show up on time. You, you know? I mean, they got – Because they, they're so they're, over the top. They are angry guys. They're angry men. Steve Smith, Ju- senior, uh, the wide receiver from Carolina, was one Marcus of Marcus Peters for the Ravens Ma- Marcus, now. Yes. So you can go down a list and look at guys like that, and it gives your team an attitude and someone they can depend on to be that guy so that everybody doesn't – like, we're not looking for somebody like, all right, it's my turn. Okay, I'm, I'm going to try and be a bad guy this – you know, try and be the, the, you know, the gritty guy this week. You need a guy who is like that. Uh, maybe the Bills lack some of that. Uh, certainly, you kind of get the feeling that they look for guys like that with a little bit of that in them. Um, I, I, and, I, and I get that. I get that mindset. That's a school of thought that's, that's I think, accepted around the National Football I League. Think, I'll also say this. I think they were trying to get some kind of a power back element to their game when they drafted Zach Moss. It just didn't pan out. Mm-hmm. Um, they took a swing. It didn't work. Do they take a swing again? We'll see. And maybe there is something – and let's face it. I mean, I wish if – and I like Ken Dorsey. I'm not going to – you know, and I, I know that we're in that mode right now. We're evaluating our coordinators and all that. But you know, Kyle Shanahan is as good an offensive play caller and offensive mind as there is in the NFL. So, yeah, yeah, we'll take him, right? I mean, <laughs> that's what you're saying. The 49ers do it the right way. Well, okay, but they've got a different, a completely different offense than the Buffalo Bills run. They also have one of the best left tackles in football. And right, Trent they've got some things that the Bills don't have. Williams. And and Kyle Shanahan is a cut above most guys. As, you know, they say Sean McVay is a cut above most guys. But even those guys are limited by the players they have on hand. So it's not to say that if Kyle Shanahan had Josh Allen, they might not be running that offense. Yeah. I, I'm telling you. So – that's just the way it is. You're right, though. Um, whenever things go don't go your way, you're always looking for a different way to do it. And, and they will explore all those things that you mentioned about running game and power backs and pass protection and running back, catching the ball, all that stuff. Yeah. We take a break here, but Steve and I with one more segment to go. We'll see if we can squeeze in a phone call or two next here on One Bills Live. All right, back here on One Bills Live, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker. We're going to squeeze one more phone call in here, and we lead off here with Sean in Hamburg. Sean, what do you got for us here on One Bills Live? Hey, guys, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I was one of those guys who uh, was not surprised by the defeat. Um, you know, my my heart was with the Bills, but my head was with the Bengals. You know, I, I knew – from that Dolphins game, the Bills had, had just given up so much uh, in terms of pressure uh, against Josh Allen, and, and they, they sort of wrote the script uh, for the Bengals to pursue. And, and I wrote about this in, in my blog. Uh, I write, you know, a free blog. It's uh, Tundra Town Sports at WordPress. But I, I wrote about it, and I said, you know, the Bengals got the Bills' number. You know, they, they know how to pressure Allen, how to get in his face and disrupt the timing of the offense. 
and and we just don't have the offensive line to hold them in check. And then on defense, um, you know, we just don't play physical. Like the Ravens wrote the script uh, for the to, to beat the Bengals, and the way the Ravens did it is they ran the ball. They they ran the ball on offense to control the clock, and they were physical up front with their offensive line. And the defense, uh, they were physical on the press, and and they got um, they got to Burrow, and they they disrupted Burrow. Yeah. So we we just aren't built we aren't built like the Ravens, so we were at a disadvantage. So the matchup, it was just a it was a mismatch. You know, the matchup between the Ravens uh, and the Bengals worked out better for the Ravens, and they would have won that game had it not been for that fumble. Whereas, you know, the Bills didn't match up that well against the Bengals because the Bengals yeah. just have a more physical and more complete team. Understood, yep. Sean. Gotcha, we gotta, Sean. We're stuff. running out of time here. Thanks for the call. Um, Coach McDermott said it. We got beat at the line of scrimmage on the offensive yeah. and the defensive Which side. Means Simple as that. Yeah, and that's when they start talking like that, you always get to the point where, as well, it's about physicality. And, and you're right. I don't think the Bills were, didn't have an edge or physicality. I don't think they played their best game. So, however physical they could be, I don't think they were in a position to be able to show it anyway. So, it's, it's a question we'll never have answered, I don't think. No, but it's something they'll undoubtedly address in the offseason. We'll take a break. We're done for the day. We'll see you tomorrow at 1.